it seems like this is more than a week ago, but it's not, since Kevin Stott uh, lost his job as retained rider to Keir Jarabchan's Ammo Racing. You'll have seen the ups and downs and twists and turns and ins and outs of this story during the course of the week. Uh, Richard, now the dust has pretty much settled. Any further reflections? Not really. I think those that take the job in the future will do so with a level of reality that it might not last that long. I think as an organisation they've come in from outside and he who pays the piper is entitled to call the tune. Um, but they have left a sort of, you know, plenty of issues in their wake in their course of um, their dealings with racing, not least with the likes of, of Tattersalls and what have you. Um, I think from Kevin Stott's perspective, he just has to put it behind him and move on. Mm. Ross Orion has done so successfully. I know Kia on your podcast was adamant there were external factors which we were not aware of, so you can't comment. In terms of some of the tactical decisions that the organisation has made, Buccaneero Fuerte's race being a case in point with Cuban Thunder, running a pacemaker when you, your main horse is stepping up in trip is a little bizarre, and it just appears a unique approach to some of the challenges in racing. But you invest, you can make the decisions, but I think some of them have probably yeah, just left a little bit of a sour taste, to be honest, personally. What do you think, Neil? Um, well, first of all, Kevin Stock must have sort of, given what happened to Ross Ryan, he must have slightly known what he was in for when he took the job. I miss, I'm sad to say I missed the pod earlier in the week. Did you have a bit of a dust-up? I, I think that's overstating it. I, I put it to Keir that people might be pretty wary of taking the job now, and would he run out of yeah. jockeys? And he said, he said, I haven't fallen out with anyone. Name me someone I've fallen out with. I, I mean, I heard on the grapevine that he was kind of slagging him off around the paddock, and, you know, he wasn't too generous, generally. There were a few things that have been retracted, you know, yeah. in the heat of the moment that have been said or tweeted or yeah. put out on social media that have subsequently been retracted. That's never a particularly good sign. I, I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, in racing generally, uh, you know, when you get people moving horses from one trainer to another, People get quite sniffy about that, don't they, and sort of take a personal affront. I, I think this is a slightly different thing, isn't it? Jockey, people moving, changing jockeys, it's a much more personal thing. I think people are much more offended by it, don't you think? I think the wider public are, are, they tend to have more of a view on it, yes. And it's the sort of thing, it is extraordinary how, the, the one final observation on this, Richard, is it's extraordinary how this story gathered... I thought disproportionate traction, and I realise I'm partly responsible for that, but it, it, it has surprised me nonetheless. Okay. Um, you think a year ago we were talking about the relationship between Frankie Dottori and John Gosden, for example, two absolute titans of the game. Mm. And that didn't get as much interest as this yeah, one, maybe because there's that's a, true. That's more true. of an element of the kind of titillating about this and what happened when and who did what and what's happened behind mm. the scenes and that sort yes, of thing. Yes, behind the scenes we do not know about. In terms of riding, you know, David Egan handled his um, removal from a retainer very in a dignified way mm. and maybe this was slightly mm. more knee-jerk in response from Kevin and that gave it a slightly more yeah you know. what I hadn't realized until Keir told me earlier in the week was that he'd actually met Kevin Stott on this sofa and <laughs> it was after that they gave him the chance to offer him the job next so week. <laughs> <laughs> I, kind of uh, like can you do, I may, I may you do the, nine ten? I may need the saunas back in. <laughs> Do you know, we haven't got saunas on the talking points uh, this week. Uh, we can always chisel it in. <laughs> um, the 2024 fixture list has been delayed. Do you know, six years ago we were probably saying the 2017 Yeah, fixture. yeah, yeah. Um, the fixture list has been delayed, but it's more complex this time because of the issue of premierisation and mm. whether the, the levy board and all other parties will enable this to, to happen in the, way that, in the way that everybody wants it to happen. As a boring old accountant... 
I love the levy board. I think they're the one organisation <laughs> in racing, actually, that go under the radar and actually have performed with massive credit over the last few years. And the simple fact that they want to ensure that they're not writing a blank cheque for somebody flying a kite as regards premierisation is entirely correct. And if that involves the fixture list being delayed, it should be delayed. If they're being asked to put in three million pounds to support premierisation, they need to be sure that the sport is correct and more than three million or a significant part towards that three million will come back in. The coffers are low because of their support mm, yeah. during COVID. It's entirely reasonable that they want to make sure that these numbers are robust exactly. and will lead to increased revenue. Because if they don't, the impact of premierisation, particularly on smaller courses, could be very, very severe. And the um, chair of the levy board, Paul Darling, was very robust on that, yeah. I thought, last week. So we're just not going to just sign this off and yeah. say that, off you go, fellas. But presumably the delay is uh, negotiating, the small tracks negotiating yeah. how much they're going to lose and what kind of, not necessarily compensation, but what what's going to be done, you know, are, are there, are there going to be quid pro quos mm. going on if they give up fixtures and... And, and, and it's the smaller tracks that are, you know, the independent tracks are likely to be the ones that are, I wouldn't say moaning the loudest, but, you know, it's got more of an effect on their business. You know, if you're in Newton Abbott and you lose a big Saturday fixture, it's, it's, it's a bigger blow for you than a, a one course in a group of, of 30 yes, courses. So, of course, it's going to take them time and, of course, they're going to want to negotiate hard. And um, I suppose there's a slight frustration that, you know, maybe a year ago, everybody was on the same page as saying there's too much racing, and now we're getting to a stage where we could have slightly less racing and people are moaning about it. Yeah, that's yeah, a common that's denominator. That. That's a very wider issue. Got, we haven't got that much less racing. That's the point, if at all. Yeah, I mean, you it's would be surprised if, if we ended up with, I don't know, 5% less races in the new fixture list. and. You know, it'll probably still cause an outcry. This this issue of smaller courses not necessarily getting the rub of the green, although this isn't a premierisation issue, it's more of a strict fixtures issue and BHA owned mm. fixtures. Fakenham were the sufferers this week, Richard, when it was announced that their New Year's Day fixture was no longer going to be allocated to them because it was a BHA owned fixture. It would be allocated to Southall instead, effectively because Southall had put up a whack of prize money yes. to make sure they got that fixture on New Year's Day. Yes, yeah, a transfer of um, Southwell, I think, goes to Newcastle because mm. it was, and there's a little bit of a. So you've got two sides of the coin here. Do you just operate racing on a financial return? They are prepared to make more executive contribution mm. into a fixture, money, yeah. and as a result, prize money is something that we all decry at various mm. times. Here is a course who's prepared to put money in, mm. versus Fakenham who were approached initially to provide a greater geographic spread, I think it was 15 years ago, mm. have done their best to make the most of that fixture and support that fixture, mm. and now are faced with effectively being outbid when it's intrinsic to their fixture list. And as Neil mentioned, as a small independent race course, it is, I think, their second biggest yeah. revenue and day. And intrinsic to their local fan base now as well. Mm. Yes. In a area, quite a remote area, mm. which is yeah, heavily stocked with grassroots racing They've fans. dealt with it quite well in the sense they've gone for the fixture the following day, so the continuity yeah. is there. There's nothing worse than it not appearing. That's always the worst. It's like if Boxing Day fixture mm. gets wiped out for frost. Small courses hate it because mm. somebody people find something else to do yeah. on a day they've always done something. So, I mean, I've got a lot of sympathy for faking them in, in like you said you know it's a big part of their year and all that kind of thing but there is that you know yet boxing day kempton i don't know whether all the three days are that great or whether you know that's a really a festival but 
And obviously you've got the two-day, two-day, the Welsh Grand National Meeting as well. But, you know, people are off. People always joke, don't they, in that period between Christmas and New Year, oh, I can't remember what day it is, you know, I'm off work again, you know, whatever. The is very poor in that regard It is a bit. There is a bit, you know, they could be kind of boosted up a bit Yeah, Variety TV looking to support the meetings from Leopardstown with domestic coverage. It is very, very poor. Exactly. The fundamental thing about fixtures, we haven't got time to get into it now, particularly in 10 seconds to go, is the biggest constraint to racing making sense of the fixture list is racecourses owning such a high percentage of the fixtures, which effectively acts as a straitjacket to them being able to move around. This is one of the exceptions because it's a BHA meeting. Yeah. There aren't that many of them, but immediately as one is moved, you know, the, the more prize money factor yeah. versus the small independent racecourse being shafted again, they pull in different but, but, directions. But what I was quickly trying to say, just quickly, I know we've run out of time, but very quickly, um, maybe just moving it one day, maybe we'll find out that actually it's not that much of a big deal. I know obviously New Year's Day is kind of a big it, day in the a, calendar. It's a, broad, it's a broader principle though, isn't it? Of mm. To what extent, under this sort of new regime, the new commercial committee of the BHA, will smaller independents be gradually, gradually shafted, to use your mm. words, more and more by by the you, can, you get, can you get gazumped for a fixture that? Yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. is that's the issue yeah. with the, the limited number um, of BHA fixtures. And we're all, you know, broadly supportive of the move. You know, aim up more prize money and what have you. But that you've got to look after your. So Hexham, I think, aren't going to stage a meeting of their twelve that was in mm. the race card this year. Mass outcry, mm. poor Hexham. But it's a BHA fixture that's been cut. One of the few mm. that had been cut. Yeah. And yet, as you say, everyone wants less racing, and then when until small... it, until we have less racing, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's tricky. It is a very difficult one. Well, I have sympathies with small courses, particularly Hexham in this case. What you do want is you want to be able to see your racing, especially if you're at home, especially if you're a racing TV member, and especially if you're in Ireland. And this Irish advertising ban is is mm. really threatening to you know, un undermine that in its entirety. How far are we getting to stopping that happening? I, I mean, it's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, in Ireland. It, I mean, this week talking about, I won't bring it straight onto the UK, but in the UK, there's a question of whether the MPs are really on side with racing. In Ireland, it's much more of a government funded industry. So, you know, by definition, the government are invested in it. And um, I, I feel like for that reason, there's an assumption that, well, this is just crazy, it can't go through. Mm. You know, we just need to persuade the government and they'll, they'll easily understand after just one meeting. I kind of feel like we've been talking, well, we haven't on here because we haven't been around, but for weeks it's been in the media. If, if it was just going to be brushed aside as, yeah, that's impractical or that's not going to work, it would have been by now. Mm. You've got to worry that no one's come out and said, well, this is unworkable. This is not, this is not, you know, this is a major industry, a big employer in a country where racing, you know, is, is, is more of an industry you know, bloodstock and farming and whatever. You know. Yeah, and I think the, the, the worry for me, Richard, is that the, the, the parent company of this channel, Racecourse Media Group, their angle of attack, quite understandably, is, well, we are a subscription channel, therefore people are mm. opting in to, to content that is going to be betting orientated. Yes. Mm. It's not as though it's just being shoved out there yeah. and they have no choice. It's not like TV wallpaper. Mm. So they're, they're having to attack or trying to attack on a slightly different battleground to, say, Sky. Mm. But that got pretty short shrift, didn't yeah, it, in terms did. of the sense it was batted back about effectively saying, but that would give competitive advantage mm. to one area of the market. Um, so rather than, you say, if you subscribe to a racing channel, you are expecting to see gambling content. Mm. But Neil's point about, I think historically in Ireland, 
the balance is changing. The support for government for one of their flagship industries is under threat, as others, may, maybe the, the nationalist rise, looking at, understandably, looking at government coppers, saying, hang on a second, why do we pay all that money yeah, for yeah. that? That industry. This, because of the, the, the rise of Sinn Féin, effectively. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And again, that's not, that's not anything dramatic about their policy. Mm. They are just effectively walking in, seeing the accounts mm. for the first time, and saying, what does that money mm. go for? Just because it's always gone there, is that mm. correct? Should we be supporting that industry? And I think it's a, it's a, there's lots of assets or facets of Irish racing, which, as you say, in the past would have been nodded through, yeah. that don't seem to be nodded through anymore. And like anything, when you're asked to justify something, so we've always done it that way. Why? Well, well, mm. well. The, the, only th the only thing is, if, if we reach a situation where this prote protestation does not work and that there has to be racing on a horse racing channel in Ireland with no ga uh, gambling advertising, and if the parent company to, to this, this channel agrees that there, there's some way of making that happen, does the sport then feel more self-confident if it's able to if it's able to create a sustainable business without any gambling advertising, particularly in the in the climate that we're in? Or you got about half, you need about half an hour for that one. Yeah, don't well, you? Yeah. well, and the impact of it rolling um, forward to terrestrial coverage, etc., is, yeah. is you know is, is quite is significant. Um, the Frankie de Tory tour, because <laughs> I know you want to talk about that. <laughs> Bro Park today, Budapest a couple of weeks mm. ago. Um, that sounded like a lot of fun. Um, he, down he, Royal. He's been saying for years, I must go to Laytown next year. He just never gets round to it. But where he didn't go was Listowel because they couldn't reach a, yes. a fee. Is he going to the Harvest Festival, taking a tin of jam? No, he's not. He, he's jam. not going to the Harvest Festival. That's the point. <laughs> he used to be the vegetable soup, you might know. Oh, yeah. That everlasting vegetable soup. He, he plough the fields and scatter the good <laughs> seed on the land. Um, yeah, so no, no Listowel. They couldn't reach a price. It got a bit of... I, I thought people were a bit chippy about it, to be honest with you. But I, I definitely think so. I mean, he's a, he's a self-employed, as I said before, he's a self-employed businessman. He's entitled to try and make some money. The poor fellow's retiring. He's got to live on the, the <laughs> poultry pension from next year. <laughs> Terrible. There seemed to be something specific about this stole, didn't there, in the sense that there had been a past agreement yeah. which he wasn't able to fulfil, and so it probably stuck slightly more in the throat than it yeah. would do about right. if you get a cold call that says, when you're in what the would eight, you need to go to Budapest? When you're in the eight stones and you're yeah. thinking about <laughs> next winter... <laughs> eat or eat I mean you're entitled to get your money while you can <laughs> but also uh, he he I suppose his management would consider that he's worth more now as a premium asset than he was 14 months ago or whatever if you're going to look at it from a strictly commercial oh, point, because the demand for him to be at certain race courses is going to be that much bigger closing down soon in the window isn't it yeah. that's the point yeah makes it a premium product and if you get your new manager in he's not got long to get his commission in has he he's got to I mean come on the uncertainty aspect is the one that's in the background, isn't it? As to whether we're going to be saying, you know, in the room. Well, the French But he did seem to reiterate yesterday, this is to the, to the king, no less, it's and the queen, it. this is my last it? classic. Yeah, I think it is domestically. Yeah. I think it's just a question of whether or not the mm. extension in America towards the oh, turn okay. of the year becomes greater. And that's irrelevant to the mm. tour he's going here. I'm sure it is the last time we're going to break up. Frankly, if you're still going in February, whatever, mm. 2024, then... And well, enjoying it, why not? There's, it's no, it's there's not. 10 million, in, 20 million in Saudi, 10 million in Dubai, yep. and whatever. He may not do the Wolverhampton Saturday night. Well, that could be his send-off. Oh, maybe. Um... Donny MPs, Labour MPs, yeah. or prospective 
MPs out in force on town more yesterday. Apparently, according to Lee Moss, says after the race, Sir Keir Starmer would have been there as well as he had been at the Derby. Yeah, he'd have, apparently he had booked a lunch with Joe Somer Smith of the BHA and uh, Justin Trudeau. It was another gazumping, I think. He got a late better well, I thought offer. You were, I thought it was Justin Trudeau, Keir Starmer <laughs> and Joe Somer Smith. No, I, believe the same lunch. I believe that at the last moment, um, Justin Trudeau suggested he should, uh, Keir Starmer, not Joe Somer Smith, should fly to Canada for a bit of lunch over there instead. So he missed out on Doncaster. But I think, you know, it's obviously showing that, um, you know, we're a year away from an election and there's been a lot of investment in lobbying, uh, you know, many different gambling ministers over the last two years. Um, the Gambling Act, to an extent, has come in through the back door with the Gambling Commission seizing power, but nothing's actually been passed as law. And, and the likelihood is that when the Gambling Act does go on the statute book, it'll be under a Labour government mm. uh, or some kind of coalition. And, um, you know, you're going to have um, Thangam Debonair potentially as the DCMS secretary uh, minister. She was not there yesterday. But the shadow gambling minister, Stephanie Peacock, was there, I understand, uh, and had meetings uh, with people from the BHA. Uh, apparently, you know, uh, lots of MPs from the Yorkshire region, all very much enjoying themselves, several of whom never been racing before, showed around the paddock, you know, had, met some of the jockeys, that kind of thing. You know, I think it's got to be a good thing, hasn't it, for racing, really? I feel, I feel like... There's a feeling that racing has more friends among Tory MPs than it does among Labour MPs. Well, might, might not um, be the, not, that might not be the case <coughs> quite soon. Well, for sure. I mean, uh, I believe... Um, well, uh, uh, Julie Harrington um, put a sort of meeting of MPs in the Commons on the day that the Select Committee met, mm. and I think they invited 60 MPs to that, 45 turned up. Uh, I think they were pretty pleased with how that went. Uh, I feel like racing feels like it's getting a fair hearing from MPs. Yeah, my, my producer is coming up with all sorts of interesting slogans. Vote Labour to save horse racing. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a win yeah. for us, but I'm not sure it would be a... I'm not sure how, how, whether it would be a vote winner for the Labour Party. Anyway, um, we <laughs> need to talk about the, the week's most important story, which is Luke Comer, uh, the owner, trainer, billionaire, businessman, who has had his licence withdrawn by the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board for three years um, because a dozen of his horses were found to have tested positive for uh, two anabolic steroids, or one anabolic steroid or the other. Not often you hear cases of anabolics in, in horse racing or indeed in sport these days. As it was described to me by one vet earlier this week, it is quite a clunky way of enhancing performance and one that is now quite easy to detect as well. This is quite a serious case, Richard. Before we speak to Darrow Lachlan, who's the chief executive of the IHRB, any kind of broad brush observations you'd like to make? I suppose as someone who sort of doesn't follow Irish racing anywhere near as closely as, as this, the interest is that, as you know, there's been a lot of that noise, mm. largely generated initially by Jim Bolger's comments, that there are issues within Irish racing um, and doping that had not seen the light of day. The, the interesting thing I'll be hoping to hear when we talk to Dara is whether or not this is because of a step forward in testing, as enabling things to be found that weren't found before, because the Irish racing were quite robust that their you know, um, drug-related 
testing was quite robust. So has this come about by a new development? And similarly, how then the penalties are dealt with? Because it's come out during the, you know, some of Luke's original defence was, I'm not there for a significant part of the yard. So the hands-on nature of him training the horses must be under question. So as a result, taking the licence off him, um, rather than the person who presumably is there for the yeah. nine months of the, yeah, yeah. the time, may not be actually very little penalty. So it's new procedures and how robust can the penalties be, I suppose, Neil? Yeah, I haven't been totally over the minutiae of this story. The two things that struck me were, well, the first one I just laughed when I saw that he led his defence loop coma by saying that up until now I have an impeccable record. And they immediately pointed out a series of other breaches that he'd done in the past, which surely his, his lawyer must have said, <laughs> spotted that was going to be a flaw in his defence. But secondly, I, I, a lot of people would say, well, what the hell do you have to do to be banned for life? I mean, you know, like, I don't really understand why if there's enough people that want to get into racing. You know, we often talk on this programme about how there are trainers struggling and there's too many trainers and whatever. I just think in all these cases, whether it's welfare or drugs, right. like once people have broken the rules to such an extent, shouldn't we just get is them the, out of the school Is the issue, altogether? though, it's not like catching you putting something into the horse. Mm. It's one of these where it has been found, yeah. the mm. source can't be detected, yeah. your but, name's on the licence. I'm not mi yeah, mitigating yeah, sure, that. Sure, sure, you know, yeah, it, I understand. It, it, yeah, I understand yeah, what you mean yeah, if you're yeah. actually caught administering yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the nearest parallel in, in this country was the Mahmoud al-Zaruni case. Mm. Now, he got eight years, but he admitted either administering the substances mm. or giving them to members of the staff. I mean, yeah, to, in that one, I just never so understood in, why in he case, wasn't just out forever. In like, this, in this, well, that's a whole, that's a whole, yeah. di that's a whole different. Well, obviously, show. yeah, there's a whole bunch of other reasons that could be described. Yeah, whatever. Um, right, we are now going to talk to the man who can okay. answer some of these well, questions. Well, let's find out. Um, those were this week's talking points.